Welcome back to The Chosen Journey with Big Money Grip, Steve Carsey. Steve, my buddy, how you doing? Good, Jonathan. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. Um, we got the set going. We got the Brewers jersey in the back, as always. Uh, you are wearing a different hat today, not the usual team hat. So what's going on there? Just something a little bit different. Throw it in there. You can see it. It says the black sheep. Always seem like... Uh... I can be the black sheep of the family. So uh, it was one of those hats that I saw on the shelf and ended up getting. It's funny, you know, uh, I've always seen myself as a black sheep, as black sheep in the family, black sheep among teammates or coworkers. But sometimes that means that you're maybe original or maybe a little different than the norm. And that's not so bad, you know, in life. We like to see it like that, right? I mean, uh, maybe be a little bit different, think outside the box and, uh, you know, work outside your comfort zone. And that's what life is all about. I tell often when I'm mentoring, let's say a young lawyer at, the, at my firm, and I said, you have a choice in life. You could be a wolf or you could be a sheep. And this is your choice. But being a black sheep is a different kind of sheep. It's funny how that logic works out. Now, okay. I'm wearing one of my, uh, my flexing shirts today. You have a very special shirt on. I'm very excited to show it. Let's, let's see. Yeah. That boy, please. So mine ends up being Air Euchre. For Bob Euchre, uh, when I was with the Brewers, uh, you know, we would come up with different shirts and they would hand them out and do that. And uh, there was a special, special something going on with Bob Euchre. Uh, it was one of his birthdays or something. You know, we always do something fun because he travels with the team and he's just a staple uh, in Milwaukee and, and what he does. So uh, it was a lot of fun being around him for three years, hearing his stories and uh you know, it was just fun getting a, getting a shirt and, uh, you know, having him on the front. So this did not go out to the public. This was like an internal team thing for Bob. That's right. This is an internal team shirt that uh, wasn't sold anywhere else uh, or put out publicly anywhere else. It was just an internal team T-shirt that uh, was given to the players and staff. Well, I got to tell you, I, <clears throat> I do pray to the baseball gods daily that uh, Bob Euchre will make his way onto the chosen journey. I can imagine the three of us, like uh, it, we, we now we're talking about it off air. Bob comes on, you and I must, might as well take away our mics and our headphones because he's just going to be talking for the next hour straight. Yeah, he's such a treat. I mean, it's, uh, you know, to hear his stories and to, to hear different things that have gone on in his life and, and what he has gone through and where he's gotten to today is, is remarkable. And it's just, a, it's just a lot of fun being around him. I mean, him and Vince Scully, if you really think about it, like they're just cut from the same cloth, so to speak. They're very different, but they kind of get to the same place. But I don't know if we're going to see any, any broadcasters like that again. They were just so special from a different era, you know, broadcasting for 130 years for their teams. And, you know, Bob is so synonymous with the Brewers. Uh, just a talent and, and a great, great man. Uh, a lot of fans that are outside of Milwaukee – would know him from the Major League Baseball uh, franchise, the Major League series, the, the baseball movies, just a bit outside. You know, he's those lines, and he was just uh, Harry Doyle, I think was his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's great. How, how often did he bring up those, uh, those movies out of curiosity, ever? On occasion. I mean, obviously, he does, uh, he does a show with counsel, and they talk in the office, and then he'll come in the coach's office and – that's where we get to hear his stories and talk to him. He's such a uh, lighthearted guy and uh, he loves to tell stories and it's just fun listening to him. Well, the reason I also want to meet Bob Euchre is I really want to make amends for the one time I met him. 
I'll tell the story now. And uh, you and I, we were pretty sure we talked about this uh, on our own in a previous uh, lifetime, but I, I will say it again because it's my fun baseball story. I certainly talked about it on uh, on my podcast, The Chosen Life, and talked about baseball memorabilia and collecting and meeting players. And I remember I was a big Dave Parker fan. I, I love the Cobra. Cobra was awesome. I was just in Pittsburgh, you know, the other uh, week, yeah. and I picked up a Dave Parker shirt. So I decided I'm going to camp out. The Brewers are playing the Blue Jays. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And I'm, I don't know, 12 at this point, 13. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Day and night, I'm going to meet Dave Parker. So I'm waiting, camping out by the team bus, hoping that uh, Dave Parker is going to take the bus this time. I did not see him taking a cab. And it's day number one. I meet Teddy Higuera. Uh, name for the past. Haven't said that in about 25 years. So it was a pretty stacked team at the time. Robin Yount was on there, BJ Serha, mm -hmm. Paul Molitor. So it was a really nice team uh, the Brewers had at, the, at that point. Uh, a guy comes sprinting through right by me and like flash. And I think it's one of the players sitting on the bus. It is Bob Euchre. He bolted from that hotel. I barely even saw him, but I see him sitting there. So I look and I'm like, oh, I think that's Bob Euchre. Bob Euchre gives me the finger. And I'm thinking, what did I do to Bob Euchre? I've never met the man. And he's doing it repeatedly. And I'm like, oh boy, okay. Uh, sorry, whatever. And uh, the team bus eventually takes off. Fine. Uh, game went well that day. Dave Parker had two home runs for the Brewers. So he was in a very, very good mood as I met him later on in the hotel. Uh, as I'm waiting for Dave Parker to come in and celebrate his home run day, I get a tap on my shoulder. This is late night at the... Uh, Sheridan Hotel in Toronto, and I look back, and who is it? It is Bob Euchre. And he says, uh, hello, son. I said, hello, Mr. Euchre. It's a pleasure to meet you. He says, I'm really sorry. I think you thought that was directed to you. There were these kids that were harassing me in the lobby of the hotel. They wouldn't leave me alone for half an hour. I wanted to just be left alone at this point. So that's why I bolted onto the bus. Please, nothing personal. Um, I'm happy to sign an autograph for you, whatever you like. I only have one ball left and I'm waiting for Dave Parker. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, is it Bob Euchre, Dave Parker, what do I do? And I said, um, so I just told him, I actually don't have anything for you to sign, uh, Mr. Euchre, but I wanted to let you know that I was a really big fan of yours on Mr. Belvedere. It's one of my favorite shows and I thought you were awesome on Mr. Belvedere. He looks at me and gives me this crooked look as if he doesn't believe me and he goes, thanks. And he, and he walks off. <laughs> and to this day, I felt very badly about that interaction because the truth of the matter is I was a Mr. Belvedere fan. I watched it religiously. I've seen all the episodes. I'm still convinced that the oldest son of Mr. Belvedere was actually Marilyn Manson. They look the exact same, but apparently that's an urban legend <laughs> and that's not the same guy. But Mr. Belvedere and uh, Bob Euchre was the uh, father on the show. And so he had a TV show. He was famous in, in the major league series. He's a broadcaster. The man did everything. And man, I can only imagine the stories he has. So later in life, it'd be nice to meet him. I don't think he'll remember this interaction, but it'll be interesting to see what he says. If I know Bob, he'll remember it. <laughs> I'm telling you, you, you laugh, but I'm telling you, if I know Bob, he will remember this story. I got this crazy, crazy feeling <laughs> that in all those years, I'm probably the only person that brought up Mr. Belvedere to him. But it's still in reruns, so I'm sure he's getting the royalty checks for that. So uh, Absolutely. We wish him well on that. And 
segueing to today's chapter, as you know, I, it's funny, I, I don't always have it planned in my mind, but organically they find their way. Guaranteed that Bob Euchre has found his way to several MLB All-Star games in some capacity or another. So today we're talking to our MLB All-Star correspondent, Steve Carse, <laughs> who attended at Dodger Stadium and got to enjoy the festivities. Steve, how was the 2022 All-Star game? It was really good. Uh, it, was, it was fun to go and, and watch it from a different perspective. Uh, you know, my son and I went. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get some seats behind home plate through a friend of mine. And uh, we were able to sit there and, you know, watch the game and, and, and take it all in from a different perspective and see all the, the great players, see the bombs that, uh, you know, Stanton and uh, Buxton hit uh, off of Gosselin. Uh, and see how far they went, uh, you know, the festivities, the, the planes flying overhead. Uh, you know, it was the first All-Star game I've ever been to uh, as either a coach, player, uh, or in person as a big leaguer or as a big league All-Star game goes, not a minor league All-Star game. So uh, it was enjoyable. Uh, it was great bonding time. We, we loved it. He enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, you know, something that I think that'll, last a lifetime so from the time you are born till today in your whole existence as far as ever attending a live all-star game and mlb one this was your first it was my first even as a kid you never attended one as a fan never been to one you probably saw them on tv obviously but oh, never well, i watched them all the yeah. time yeah yes, i watched them yeah. all the time on yeah. tv and uh you know uh been around a lot of all-stars but never actually uh, went to a, went to one or pitched in one uh, or watched one in person until uh, this this last one at Dodger Stadium. So now, when I'm speaking with you on this, I'm thinking in my mind we got Joe Fan that's sitting at the, on their couch right now. They're watching us on the big screen. I'm channeling them right now, and Joe Fan is saying to me, "You got to ask a couple questions, please. I'm sorry they're stupid, but we got to know this stuff." So <laughs> Steve, sorry, but I'm channeling the fans right now that uh, I know I, I'd want to know, so I'm pretty sure they'd want to know. First things first, going as an ex-player and attending Dodger Stadium in the, in the festivities, is there ever that thought in your mind with your kid as far as, am I going to get recognized? You know, do I want to be bothered? I'm with my family right now. Uh, ever Was that an issue at all at, in uh, Dodger Stadium? You know, it's not. I don't, uh, I don't think about it like that. You know, if I'm ever going to go to uh, a public facility or a public place to, to watch a game, whether it's, you know, hockey, basketball, football, baseball. Uh, I just kind of go and if somebody recognized me, they recognize me. I'm willing to stop and chat with them and talk with them. Uh, but it, it's not something that weighs on my mind. I was going there just to enjoy the game, uh, spend time with my son and uh, have him enjoy his first All-Star game uh, in person. So the only player, and I, and I mentioned this to you in, in passing as well, it's funny how all these stories got interrelated. But the only player I could tell you that, I, and I've seen a lot of players on the street, the only one I've ever seen wearing his own stuff when he doesn't need to was Omar Vizquel. I remember Omar Vizquel actually wearing a shirt with a picture of him on a t-shirt on the back, Omar Vizquel, number 13. So you can't miss this guy walking down the street. I've never seen somebody actually want to wear their own paraphernalia. So I'm pretty sure when you're sitting at Dodger Stadium, you're not wearing a car seat jersey at that point. I am not wearing a Carse jersey at that point. Omar is very eclectic and, and very, uh, you know, outgoing. So he loves that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I like to stay a little bit more subdued and uh, just kind of mingle amongst the crowd and, and watch the game. 
And when I tell you some of these stories, like I tell you the Bob Euchre story, now Omar Vizquel, you, you've either played with them or coached with them. So Omar Vizquel, you, you do know him. This does not surprise you in the slightest. Not, not in the slightest. He's always been like that. He's a very colorful guy. He loves painting, obviously, and he loves the bright colors. So lime green, yellow, orange is exactly what uh, he would be flaunting if he was out on the street. Me and Omar are kindred spirits, I think, that way. You know, I think I, I understand him, where he's coming from with that. And I got to tell you, if there's one guy, and I, and I mentioned this before, as far as because the Hall of Fame just came through. And so when we're taping this, we just had the, uh, the induction ceremony, Big Poppy. You know, he's all excited. Mm -hmm. There's one guy I got to tell you, you know, from that era, I don't understand. And, you know, you don't have to answer this, but Omar Vizquel. I always say if Ozzy Smith is in the Hall of Fame, Omar Vizquel should be in the Hall of Fame, period, based on his wizardry with the glove. Uh, the, I, the guy was incredible. Like he was as a Hoover as you get uh, automatic outs every time he was there. I remember that he got traded for Felix Fermin back in the day. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and, and man, he developed, he was an average to above average hitter. He didn't embarrass himself out there. I think he was pretty steady with the bat at the bottom of the lineup, but he was such a sure thing. He saved so many runs for his teams. Uh, loved watching him in the field. Yeah, a very special player. Obviously got to uh, enjoy his talents uh, when I was on the mound and he was playing behind me at shortstop. Him and Robbie Alomar up the middle. Couldn't ask for a better duo when, uh, when you're pitching on the mound. They, they'll gobble up anything and turn double plays like nobody's business. But uh, as far as Omar goes, I, I agree. Uh, I mean, the comps are very similar to Ozzie Smith and the gold gloves and Maybe he's not at 3,000 hits, and he played for over 20 years, Omar. But uh, the numbers he put put up, you you just can't deny. And I'm sure that that'll get looked at as, uh, you know, as writers uh, look into the future more on, you know, whether he should be or shouldn't be at some at some point to be in the Hall of Fame. You never know, Steve. One of us may have that vote down the road at some point, depending on how this goes, and uh, maybe we'll be considering him. Um, I, do, I don't have the research in front of me, but I will be curious to check on it into the future of how many all-star games Omar went to. Part of the issue is, as you know, uh, for a lot of players, when you play in a certain era, you could be a top catcher, a top shortstop. But if you happen to get stuck behind, let's say, a Derek Jeter, good luck in ever getting voted in. And it only can carry so many shortstops. You know, there's a whole thing behind it as far as how many players go, teams getting represented, positions getting represented. There's a lot of guys when you go and look through their list and you're saying, wow, I thought that they for sure were going to be part of more All-Star Games, including our present company here, which uh, I went, I told you uh, off the air, I looked and looked and researched and I'm like, how did Steve never come to an All-Star Game? And that was stupid question number two. Steve, tell us, man, like uh, I, I'm in utter shock, man. You had the stats there. You thought one year, I, I would think for sure one year would hit. So what do you, in your estimation, happened there? Well, you think about it, you know, in the areas that I played, uh, there weren't very many middle relievers who went to all-star games, to be quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. uh, it started becoming a thing in, you know, the late uh, 1990s and the early 2000s, where if you were putting up a super solid year, that you might get consideration to go. Um, and it was just one of those things. They always took starters and they always took relievers. If there was no replacements in this year's all-star game, that's how it would have been too. Devin Williams and Mantiply kind of were the two that were, were added later who were middle relievers that got the pitch in the game. But other than that, it was just whether you racked up the saves or you were an elite starter, 
because uh, there's only you know 12, 12 players that can go. It's it's a very limited company, right? So at the end of the day, I you know I think the era that I played had a little bit to do with that, but also the year. And we discussed this a little bit. The year that I played, that I was having a, a tremendous season in 2001. I was with the uh, Cleveland Indians. Um, you know, had a, a you know mid ones ERA going into uh, into June, coming up on the All Star break or the All Star game. Um, probably a week away from maybe getting consideration to to pitch in it. Uh, and then you know a week before that, I get traded. You know, somewhere around June 26th, I believe it was. I was in Kansas City and got traded to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, they didn't commingle stats at the time. It was American League stats, National League stats. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, uh, none of my stats transferred over to the Atlanta Braves. I started from zero 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 and didn't have what I you know uh, accumulated with the the Cleveland Indians. So I was in the National League. And I don't think I could have played for the American League at that particular time. So uh, it just wasn't in the cards. And, you know, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, it would have been, you know, great to say that I had gone to an all-star game or pitched in an all-star game. Um, but at the end of the day, it didn't happen. And I, you know, I can live with that. That's just, uh, you know, the way the way the world works. And it, it's part of the journey. Listen, if there's one person I can tell you as a professional that we can talk to about it, it is you, which I appreciate very much your honesty and be able to open up because I can tell you in sports with competitiveness, a lot of people do not want to discuss as far as whether all-star game, no all-star game, MVPs, uh, Cy Young's, World Series, you know, it's, it becomes very touchy subjects that, I mean, look look at Nick Castellanos the other day as far as uh, the reporter coming to him and saying, uh, Nick, did you by chance hear those boos out there? And he's like, no, I lost my hearing. And then they explode on it. Now that's in the heat of the moment, obviously, but uh, not everybody is, some people will take it, you know, with humor, some will not. I could tell you, you know, for all the time for our friendship, very humble, you know, you're happy with your place, you know, very much like Charles Barkley, you know, come to Charles Barkley, Bar hey, Charles, you don't have a ring. So what? I'm Charles Barkley, you know, like. Life that doesn't define somebody, I think, through those items. It, it, there's a lot of factors that go into it, certainly. And it uh, works out for some people, some not. But look, uh, we've gone through the numbers. Even for somebody just to pitch one day in the major leagues, one day, you have a better chance of winning the lottery. Like, it's so little. And you got to have a major league career with it. So I, I presume when you reflect on it, there's no hard feelings that way. It's just that's how it rolls. Listen, did I want to go? Was that, you know, an ambition of mine? Of course it was. Uh, but again, it just wasn't in the cards. And, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I use that saying, you know, probably more than I should, but uh, it is what it is. You know, you either make it or you don't. And then if you don't make it, you move on and you live with it. And the same thing with the ring, you know. In Charles Barkley's case and anybody's case who's played in the big leagues for a very long time, there are a lot of people who played 10, 12, 15, 18 years who've never had a ring. Uh, there are a lot of factors that determine whether you win a ring, the team you're on, you know, how good that team is, how lucky that team is, what kind of a break, how you play when you go into October. Uh, you know, there's so many variables that go into winning a World Series. It's not just one person. It's, you know, the team and the organization who kind of accumulates that. And everything has to go right for you to win a World Series. I mean, look at the Dodgers, right? The 88, they won the World Series. And how many 
unbelievable teams have they had from 88 to 2000 before they won the World Series in that shortened season. Um, uh, you know, so just because you have the highest payroll or just because you have the best players always doesn't mean you're going to win a World Series. You still have to have, you know, a little luck on your side and, uh, you know, a few bounces go your way. And uh, another great segue to future promotion where I tell people, make sure you hit the subscribe button, send your questions to Steve on this episode or any questions in general you have for Steve on baseball. But when you mention those 88 Dodgers, I'll tell people a little sneak preview, stay tuned. We dug up uh, a future guest to be coming on. Very honored uh, to have Fred Clare, the GM of the Dodgers back in 88 and a lifelong Dodgers executive will be joining us on a future episode. And Steve, by all means, be happy, you know, uh, talking about that Dodgers team, questions on the Dodgers in general. Uh, I can imagine the stories he's going to have. Yeah, you know, when you're in that position, you know, like Fred is, uh, you know, I think you see a lot of things, you hear a lot of things, things that transpire, things that don't transpire, whether it's a trade or not a trade, you know, uh, of different things of, of how they how trades work and what needs to fall in place for that. Uh, you know, he did it for a long time. And like I said, I just think that... Uh, the knowledge that he'll be able to uh, put out there uh, that he's comfortable with and how things are run in the front office will give a lot of people of insight of how baseball works as a business. The one item I probably will not be bringing up with him, and I'm just going to glance upon this, but I got to tell you, you know, as a, as a baseball fan in general, I grew up loving the San Francisco Giants, was not a big Dodgers fan, but still appreciated and respected the history of the Dodgers. When Mike Piazza was traded from the Dodgers, it's like I felt my heart getting ripped out of my body. It just, it seemed so weird not seeing him in Dodger blue, especially knowing the fact that he was Tommy Lasorda's uh, godson and he essentially was a favor to be drafted in the 300th rounder whenever he was picked. Yeah. And what a story he was and near the end of Fred's time there. And uh, we probably won't get into that with him there, but it's funny how, you know, there's in baseball, like any other sport, but especially baseball, there's always a story, you know, there's never, there's always a story behind the story behind the story. Yeah. It's, it's really, really crazy uh, how things work. And, and one day we'll get into, you know, my trade in 93, where uh, I was supposed to go to the Seattle Mariners with uh, Mike Timlin at the time for Randy Johnson. And it just didn't transpire. So they had to shift and go to the A's and get Ricky Henderson instead of Randy Johnson. So we'll, we'll dig deeper into that. We'll just let, we'll do give a little insight into what people may think about that and, and kind of let them chew on that a little bit. I, I did not know that. <laughs> Why did nobody tell me this? <laughs> the whole course of history, it, it's funny, you know, they always say like life is a domino effect and you change one of the dominoes, the whole thing spirals for everybody else. Imagine your life, Randy's life, Ricky's life, everybody's life. We will, we will definitely get into this. Uh, you've now planted the seed. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, we will. I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it's really crazy. I didn't know this story uh, until years later. Um, I, I didn't know at the time. I knew I got traded in 93 to the A's for Ricky Henderson, got to the big leagues, obviously, a couple weeks later uh, after a few starts in the minors at the uh, Oakland AA system. But, uh, yeah, until until uh, I've talked to a few people within the business and, and these stories have come up, uh, I, I had no idea. And look, at the time, 
I guess, the, you know, from the, from the, from the perspective, if you have to pick one versus the other, they were already so loaded on offense. They didn't, they, they had Whamco. They did not need Henderson at this point, the Jays, but uh, knowing Ricky did not do much in Toronto that year, but they still won, you know, having him there. But I think if they could have gone hindsight, they would have taken Randy in a second, but we will get into that. Certainly. So, well, the reason it, the reason it didn't go through uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of just leave it at this and yes. then we can discuss it a little bit more, but yes. The reason it didn't go through, there's a time difference between the East Coast and the West Coast, right? Yes. Um, and uh, at the time, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure it was Pat Gillick, but one either Pat or Gord was trying to get hold of uh, the GM of the uh, Seattle Mariners at the particular time. Mm -hmm. And as the story goes, I heard he was on the golf course and didn't answer his phone. And that's why they had to pivot to uh, the Oakland A's before the midnight deadline, uh, Eastern time. Stay tuned, folks, when we get to the trade deadline uh, episode, which may very well come up next.